Good morning. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name's Amy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, August 1st, and today we're reading from the big book, and we are at the doctor's opinion chapter, XXVII. We are in the fifth paragraph. Let me read the preamble. Oh, excuse me. And the reference number for the previous day is 2789. That's 2789. My readers today, thank you very much, is Carol P., Michelle, Sharon, Judy B., Fran, and in that order. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. At A Vision for You book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Hoodie, please, to please read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Hoodie, compulsive overeater. Um, hello, Amy. Good morning. Good morning. The 12, the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, so through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others um, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you and pass. Thank you, Hoodie. I'd now like to call on Dew to read the 12 traditions. Dew? Good morning, do compulsive overeater. Um, Twelve traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, carries message to alcoholic who still suffers. Six, AA group never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, bar service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but be, may create service boards or commitments directly, committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion outside issues, hence the AA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Anna Pass. Thank you, do. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are, literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence require, requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book means to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the big book of the doctor's opinion chapter, XXVII. I'm going to first give our readers one more time, and we'll start with Carol P., Michelle, Sharon, Judy B., Fran, in that order. Carol, would you mind starting, please? Uh, Thank you. Good morning. Carol, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Many years ago... One of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital, and while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgivings, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive in their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in a power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. And uh, this was Bill Wilson in Towns Hospital. He'd had a spiritual awakening um, 
his old ideas were replaced by new ideas, a new way of living. And, um, you know, he was requesting the privilege, what a privilege it is to pass this message on to those who still suffer. And uh, these doctors were, um, they were at, pretty much at a loss. They could um, clean people up, but they couldn't stay sober. And uh, he had... Um, uh, this to share with them and unselfish, uh, no profit motive. And what had happened to him was amazing. And um, these doctors who had labored in this field, you know, they were they were ready for to see what he had to offer, and they saw a change in him. So um, with that, well, and uh, I wanted to mention too that um, the, they they believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. And that's what he was going to share with them, that power. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Press star one to unmute. Good morning. It's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Hey, Aim. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. This quote here, they believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Indeed, um, you know, we're in the doctor's opinion and we're certainly going to hone in on the allergy of the body and, of course, that is of utmost importance to eliminate those those substances that trigger a phenomenon of craving. Uh, but, uh, you know... <laughs> I don't know about your disease. I can certainly tell you about mine. I've eliminated binge foods many, many times over the the years in my career of compulsive overeating, and that was merely a physical solution. Well, what the big book teaches me is that I have a spiritual malady. I have a gangrene of the spirit. I have a soul sickness, and I can eliminate my binge foods all day and all night, but that is not going to attend to the greater aspect of my disease. The greater aspect of my disease is the obsession of the mind. Big Book teaches me I have a twofold problem, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. The allergy of the body, yes, it is a bad problem. There's no doubt about that. But I have a worse problem than that. I have a much worse problem than that, and that is that I have a mental problem. I have a mental problem. I... I, you know, despite the great necessity and despite the wish, I cannot, left to my own resources, recoil as if from a hot flame. You know, and that's the baffling feature of our disease. So it says here they believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. I had to come to believe in a power greater than myself that was going to restore me to sanity, that was going to allow me to see my disability and to see the truth about my disability soundness of mind that's what sanity is the ability to see the truth the ability to accept the truth and with god's help that occurred with god's help that occurred and that's why i need these 12 steps that's why i need a spiritual solution because it is through this spiritual solution through the 12 steps that I was transformed from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence, and in that relationship with God, I now have the power. I have now been given the power to recoil as if from a hot flame 
and to have a choice in the matter, and I've been given the power to help others as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Yes, I'd like to this share. Janice. Oh, go ahead, Janice. Please share. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Janice. I am a compulsive overeater recovered today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Okay, many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas. He acquired some ideas. Well, thank you, God, that Bill W. acquired some ideas, some new ideas, those old ideas of his, the old way of behaving, the old perceptions, the old way of looking at things were gone. And in their place were some new ideas, some new ideas. A transformed life was what was happening to him. And in that transformed life, there was a way that he felt he had to reach others to share what he had been given. And I don't know about you, but lack of power had always been my dilemma. And where were we to find that power? Well, Bill W. had acquired these new ideas at finding that power, that wider, greater, higher power than himself, seemed to be turning the tide, seemed to be giving him the ability to not only stay sober himself, but to help others achieve sobriety, transform their lives like his life had been transformed. And at first, he didn't know what this new thing was. But he talked to Dr. Silkworth about it, and together, the doctor informed him about the allergy of the body. And with that spiritual awakening, a new, new way, of looking at things came into view, a new way. You know, no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, and that was true for Bill W. And, oh, my, the doctors and the staff at this hospital were following these cases and seeing something so miraculous. Couldn't be denied, could not be denied. You know, what a wonderful thing. And here we are, given the opportunity to learn those same new ideas. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. I think I heard someone else after Janice. Are you still there? This is Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Go ahead, please. Well, I'm. Uh, this is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Amy, and thank you to everyone who's on this call. I'm glad that we're doing this together. Um, I'm looking at a few things in this paragraph that, that um, I'd like to point out. First of all, the gates of death, uh, the last phrase, the gates of death. And we, we were standing at the gates of death, and we stood at the gates of death alone. It was just us and, and uh, the abyss. And yet it says that, they believe in themselves. Now that's that's plural. So they they uh, he acquired these ideas, and the ideas were about not being alone at the gates of death, but that they're together. When he worked with others, 
and believed in a power greater than himself and himself and and sought that power those two things could pull him back he himself back from the gates of death and that's true for all of us we stand at the gates of death alone but when we reach out to others when we reach up to god to our higher power be that what it may then we all can recover. It says that um, the unselfishness of these men, unselfish, and this speaks of, we've talked about the word love on this, um, and and many of us don't understand how this works. We don't understand unselfishness because we've never been introduced to that personally, or with other people around us. But when we come into this fellowship and we start reaching out and and being pulled back from the gates of death, we learn this new way of living, and it's this, this power of unselfishness. It says that the entire absence of profit motive, when I talk to you, I'm not looking at what I can get out of this. I'm not um, on this phone. It's not about me. It's about how I can be of love and service, how I can, what can I offer because I've received so much from this program. It's about I want to live so that I can be a part of and, and um, according to the big book, be what God, do what God has for me to do in this life. It says they had community spirit, and that speaks of the joy and and the peace of being a part of. We're all in this together. I'm looking out for you. You're looking out for me. I'm I'm uh, putting aside my uh, self motive, uh, even even though I'm wanting to get recovered. When I come together with you, it's my focus is more about us and about helping and about giving and about service. And we're building community. We're building our power so that I can have power to recover myself. But my focus is not on myself. And um, so with that, I will pass. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Deb. Go ahead, Deb. Oh, good morning, good morning. It's Deb, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I love the words practical application and what. Um, and I love those words because it's, it's true. For, it's true. It's true as we practice these steps. It's about practical, which means we're actually doing it, we're practicing it. Application, which means when a situation comes up, I get to apply these steps and the principles from these steps to whatever situation comes may arise, and it's at once. You know, Bill started this. If he didn't sit around and wait, you know, he got started. He got started applying this program into his life, you know, into all of his life, all areas of his life. So this program, every, and I love these words because it reminds me again, but it's about today, and it's about practical application today at once. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Deb. Yes, my name's Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'd also like to share, let's review here. This is a letter written by a doctor 
it always is just fascinating to me that here is a wonderful man who humbly realizes that as a doctor and with all his medical experience could not find a cure for alcoholism. And in comes Bill, Bill himself. And as we read his story, we will see that he was at the gates of death with, yeah, with alcoholism. And yet he has a spiritual experience and realizes that for his own recovery, that he has to give it away. And so he approaches his doctor and says, let me talk to other people in the hospital. Let me have the privilege of telling my story. And he says initially, you know, I find it interesting. And then the doctor says, I find it amazing because here he is with all of his knowledge and he can't do anything. And yet Bill was able to share. And, and why is that? You know, we fast forward to working with others and it says, in Chapter 7, practical experience shows us that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when all activity fails. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. We, as recovered compulsive overeaters, we can help others still suffering compulsive overeaters. When we are recovered, we carry the message. We have the ability to carry the message that allows them to find a higher power to bring them back from the gates of death. That is powerful. And, and as others have said, the unselfishness, the entire absence of profit motive, they did this not because they, well, yes, they did want to give it away what they have so generously been given. But let's be clear here. They realized that the key note, the key foundation of their recovery was to carry the message for their own sake. They knew. I mean, what did Bill have in the beginning? He didn't have the 12 steps. He had a spiritual experience and the realization that if he didn't carry the message to another alcoholic, that he was going to drink again. So his motive was to get out there and be practical, take action. Never doubt that this program is not one of action. We are obligated, based on our own recovery and to share the message, to carry that message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Okay, then we'll move on to Michelle, please. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, everyone on Vision for You. Uh, this is Michelle. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Glad to be here. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. And so these two paragraphs um, follow after we've just found out that, you know, Bill's had this spiritual awakening and he, um, he's wanting to carry his story um, about the power um, that is required, the power that's needed to, to be restored. Um, but the focus now is 
the importance lies in okay i've got I've got this allergy um i'm I'm different because I react differently to a substance that other people don't um as a compulsive overeater, there's substances that I've identified that um that I can't take in any form at all because I'm allergic to them. I definitely know what's going to happen. Um, I repeatedly, repeatedly um, kept trying to ingest these substances, and um, I got the same result. And so it is a relief to find out that there's a reason. The reason is that I have an allergy, and this craving um, is limited to me, someone like me, someone just like me. I'm different. I'm not, my body is not normal when it comes to these um, to these substances, and it tells me that, um, you know, I may require a hospitalization. Um, in my case, I didn't in order to separate um, and and to um, separate from the substance and be relieved of this physical craving before the psychological measures are going to be of any benefit to me at all. I'm not going to hear them. I'm still going to be in the phenomenon of craving, going in this vicious cycle, trying to put it down, being remorseful, um, you know, you know, having that regret, and then you know, not feeling satisfied and not feeling content until I pick up that first bite again. Being remorseful, I'm just going to be in this cycle, this phenomenon of craving, this insanity of craving. And um, what happens? You know, I get into this habit. Um, I might have had some self-confidence. I might have been able to interact with other humans before. I can't now, and my problems keep piling up. And for me, I didn't require hospitalization, but I sure. Um, required a bottom. I required a bottom um, before I could see that definitely this wasn't working. This substance was going to do this to me time after time after time, and um, I just needed to to concede to my innermost self that, yes, indeed, I've got this physical allergy, and this is going to be the result each time if I don't put it down. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone else like to share on what was read, please? This is Christy. Go ahead, Christy, then Janice, please. Good morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, a vision for you. I'm Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And there's so much richness in these two paragraphs. I just love these two paragraphs, which you'll hear me say about pretty much every paragraph in the big book. But, um, you know, this, this first part here, it says, of course, of course, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. Uh, and then, um, you know, a little bit further down, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And um, I know for me, you know, my physical craving, my physical craving for food, uh, the way it manifested itself for me personally was with, um, you know, especially anything with sugar, anything with fat, anything with flour, you know, and back in the day, those things combined especially, those things combined especially were, um, you know, once I ingested them, had a craving beyond my control, absolutely beyond my control. Volume as well is a trigger for me. You know, you would think that after eating to the point where I thought my stomach would burst, I thought my stomach would burst that I would stop. I would have stopped long before then. And for someone like me, in my experience, that did not happen. I wanted more. I wanted more. You know, I'm fond of saying I wanted anything that wasn't nailed down. Um, but especially sugar, fat, flour, volume, large quantities of food. And so for me, um, 
those foods manifested themselves in an allergy, and I love the definition of allergy as an abnormal reaction, an abnormal reaction too. You know, when I heard people say things like it's too rich or I'm full, you know, I'm full, I just couldn't eat another bite, those are things I never said. I never said those out loud. You know, I didn't want to set myself up. You know, it's like too full, I don't want another bite. I, you know, even though I felt like my insides would burst, I kept going. I kept going. And so for me, what I know about myself today is that I cannot safely use any of those foods. I cannot safely use any of those foods. But that's just one aspect of my disease. That's just one aspect of my disease. So to put those foods down is one thing, but there's an entirely greater aspect of my disease, and that is that phenomenon of craving. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I, I, you know, the, the psychological measures that I tried on my own did not work. You know, I sat in offices of professionals who said, Christy, it's just food. It really is not speaking to you and as well as me trying to give up those foods on my own. You know, it's, I have not found anything in my three and a half decades of compulsive overeating and being, being at the gates of insanity, pulled back from death. I, the only thing that I have found that has worked for my type of disease, for my diagnosis, is what's outlined in the big book. That is the only thing. Three and a half decades of absolute misery and pain and bewilderment and despair. The only thing that I have found to give me freedom is what's outlined in the big book. And I am so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Janice? Thank you, Amy. Thank you very much. You know, here we're talking about this thing, this phenomenon, this phenomenon of craving, you know, and and I don't want to forget what it was like to stand alone, afraid, desperate, full of shame and guilt and remorse. You know, there's nothing worse than here I am again. Here I am again. But at that point in time, I did not know it was the first bite. It was the first bite that got me time and time and time again. And why was that? It was because I had suffered from this phenomenon, this abnormal reaction, and all it took was one bite. All it took was one bite. So when I read that me, this allergic type, could never safely use this in any form at all. It was a great relief. It was a great relief to me to know this about myself. But, you know, I, I learned about this twofold disease, and I had to know this part first, that it was going to be that first bite, and that if I did not pick up any of those in any form at all, these foods, that that was going to not set off the phenomenon of craving. And that had to happen before I could start working the steps, before those psychological measures could have any kind of real and lasting and permanent effect. You know, thank God for this knowledge. Thank God for Dr. Silkworth for pointing this out to us as compulsive overeaters, as alcohol alcoholics that we now know this about ourselves. But you know what? It was a habit. 
and I couldn't break it. And every time I picked up, I would lose a little more self-confidence. I would lose a little more assurance that I could do this. That self-sufficiency was eroded time and time again. My problems piled up on themselves and became increasingly more difficult for me to manage my life because I was not doing a very good job of it. Was not doing a very good job of it. Filled with guilt and remorse and shame. You know, thank God we know what we know today. This is my truth. This is my disability. You know, thank God I know that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, that first statement here, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit, is reiterating to me that I have a twofold illness, an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. Oftentimes we've been taught we have, you know, a three-legged stool, emotional, physical, spiritual. No, the, the program of recovery makes it clear allergy of the body obsession of the mind twofold illness that that teaching helps me understand my disease the grave nature of my disease and then this statement here we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy and that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. And I just wanted to focus on that craving aspect. The only way an alcoholic can crave alcohol is to first put it in his system. Then that phenomenon of craving develops, and then he can't stop, and he ends up getting drunk and sick. Um, That allergy of the body is what sets us apart. For the alcoholic, you know, most people, normal drinkers, they have a few drinks, they feel a lack of control coming upon them, and they say to themselves, you know, self, I don't want this lack of control. I like my environment. Uh, let, me, let me ease off. I don't like feeling sick. I don't like feeling out of control. Um, but the alcoholic, um, you know, enjoys that, and that, that those drinks intensify the feeling it never satisfies it intensifies and it was the same truth for me it was the same truth for me that i have an allergy to certain substances and once i take that first bite my disease has the last say that's it once i take that first bite that first bite takes me you know take a bite lose a decade that's about what it was you know i picked up a first bite when i was a little little tiny kid and that's it you know i ate my way through the next uh, couple decades you know and and to people who understand this those of you on the line no explanation is necessary you understand that allergy of the body and we we feel it you know it's not something you can see like a rash or uh, watery, itchy eyes. But, but I, I can feel it. I can feel it. So the, to those people who understand, no explanation is necessary. But to those who do not understand, no explanation is possible. They're just not going to get it. But it explains to me, it explains to me why I never got enough. It explains to me why I ate for two decades. It explains to me why I ate more than I needed to eat. 
why I, I, I never got all I wanted. You know, one bite was never enough. One bite was never enough. And um, to me, this is, imp- this is vital information. And to the alcoholic, vital information. Now, for the alcoholic, obviously, it's a more simple process. The alcoholic crawls his way into the AA room. He is allergic to one substance, one ingredient, and one ingredient only, and that's alcohol. There's all types of drinks that can be served at a bar. That's true. But the common ingredient that, that, um, that manifests that phenomenon of craving is alcohol. For compulsive overeaters, if there's over 100 of us on the line, we are each going to have a different list of trigger foods. That's, you know, and we each have to make our personal list. But the important thing here is that I can never, never safely use those substances. Here it says these alcoholic types can never safely use alcohol. It's limited to one ingredient. Simple, simple. For a person like me, it's more complicated. These allergic types can never safely use Food, those food substances in any form at all. And if that means I have 50 or 100 trigger foods, well, then that means that I refrain from using those 50 or 100 substances. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. I think there was someone else. Would you care to share? Yeah, this is Sarah. I just wanted to <laughs> contrast the previous paragraph with this one where he, um, where Dr. Silkworth introduces Bill, and what happened to him, his experience in recovery, he got some ideas, he put them into practical application at once, he shared his story with others, and he developed qualities, you know, recovery developed within him qualities of unselfishness, entire absence of profit motive, community spirit, belief in them, belief in themselves, belief, even more belief in a power greater than themselves, belief in God, and the recovery, it just got better and better and better. In contrast to this paragraph where um, we see what happens, what the allergy of the body will take you to is a is that obsession of the mind and the loss of self-confidence, the loss of reliance upon things human, the problems piling up and becoming astonishingly difficult to solve. In the disease, your life just gets worse and worse and more difficult to bear. And, And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Okay, we'll move on to Judy B. Uh, excuse me, Sharon. Are we on Sharon or Judy B.? I'm sorry, I just lost my place. Okay, this is Sharon, uh, yeah. the recovered compulsive overeater. And um, let's see, I am trying to remember. We got caught up in listening here, and now I can't remember where oh, we ended. Frothy emotional Frothy appeal. emotional appeal, please. That's where we're starting, right? Yes. Okay, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And I'll just end there in this short paragraph. Uh, boy, Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Um, And, 
you know, I, I found that from my, my mother. Uh, I had uh, small children, and I was eating. And I can tell you, when I was eating, um, I was eating myself to death. And I love my children. And the reality is, is that 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 love of my children in itself could not get me to recover. And my mother appealed to me, Sharon, who's going to take care of those kids um, if you, you know, kill yourself eating? And that in itself, I couldn't on my own stop eating. I kept eating, even though uh, the the emotion, the, the frothy, you know, you got to do it, you got to do it. That didn't help me. And and when we go to other uh, uh, compulsive overeaters and and uh, with with uh, you know just the hyped up, you got to do it. That doesn't work. What has to happen is I had to come into the rooms and find a message from other alcoholic people who had recovered, and I could see that recovery. And the message had depth and weight. It showed me how to do it what steps I needed to take, what I needed to do it, and that I could join in with other people who were also working it and studying and learning and and um, and knowing what to do. So it's that message of depth and weight. Uh, this book, following these steps, seeing people that have recovered, working with other recovered people, and knowing that we're in this together. The other depth and weight is when people, when compulsive overeaters talk to me about the pain, talk to me about the uh, insanity, eating out of the garbage, uh, eating raw food, uh, frozen food, hot food that burns your mouth, overeating until there were sores in your mouth and still wanting more. When I heard the insanity that I was doing coming from someone who had recovered, that had depth and weight to me. Then I could believe. But hearing it from people who were still struggling and acting crazy, that didn't do anything for me. And I was able to recover when I got that message of death and weight. The other thing in this paragraph, recreate their lives, recreate. This is a message that I can hold on to. This isn't just about getting recovered and treading water. This is about getting recovered and moving on. This is about getting recovered and going to that place of peace and joy and contentment, fulfillment, of being of usefulness, usefulness. Me, who sat in the room with the curtains closed on the couch, watching TV, eating one thing after another, and in total isolation, yet you're telling me that I can recreate my life? I can live again? I can live again? Not just um recover physically but my life my life i can and and that message that has depth to me 
that has weight. That is power. I can move on. I don't have to go from one pain and a giddy high and to another pain and to an adrenaline high and to another pain and repeat that cycle all over and over again and then not know how to live and then need to reach for food and then not want to reach for it and can't help but reach for it. I can recreate. I can live again. I can find that place of usefulness. And um, that's what has happened to me. And it's amazing that me, that I came from that place where I was so sick, where I was dying, where I was at the gates of hell, and I knew nothing but agony, shame, and guilt, and repeating the same pain when love for my children couldn't get me to stop eating. And now I, 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 I can love and I can respond without being pulled back into that insanity over and over again. I can move on with my life by God's grace and the help of this program and this community of, of uh, recovered compulsive overeaters. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share? This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Yes. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Um, yeah, stop eating. You know, my parents told me that. My my husband told me that. My employer told me that. My doctor told me that. People told me that. You know, stop eating. Stop eating. You're hurting yourself. You're high, you know, you have high pl- blood pressure. You're barely in your 20s. Uh, high cholesterol. You're barely in your 20s. Look at you. You've blown up like a pig. You know, take some control of yourself. Push the plate away. You know, stop eating. Well, you know, stop eating. That's not a news flash. Don't eat is not a news flash for someone like me. I have to compulsively overeat, you know, because I felt like I didn't have a choice. I had to compulsively overeat because when the pain of living, when the pain of meeting life on life's terms got so bad, I didn't know anything else that would ever work like the contents of a cellophane bag. And I didn't, you know, I I didn't know. I didn't know, and I would pursue that sense of ease and comfort, and even though I knew it was creating pain in my life, and even though I knew I was suffering from the consequences, and even though I knew my, it caused me more trouble in my life, and my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards, I could not stop. It says, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. The program of recovery restored me to sanity. The program of recovery, these very steps that we that we study every day, uh, rehabilitated my entire life, transformed my entire life due to a profound personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Not just a part of my life has been changed. Not just a piece of my life has been changed. An entire new life. I've been reborn. So this is not about merely elimination from those substances that trigger me. This is about raising the dead. How else would you explain how someone like me, who was enslaved by the chains of compulsive overeating, could rise up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body? The only explanation is God. 
And the only way I got to God was through this program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? Does Paula match you? Yes, Paula. This is Janice. Thank you. Then Janice. Okay, thank you. Uh, this is Paula Recovered, uh, compulsive reader. In nearly all cases, well, I guess I would fit in on all, their ideals must be, now here's a must, there is no other way, must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate this, their lives. I mean, we're talking about lives being recreated. Oof. You would say, well, only a miracle. They are right. Only a miracle and not by our hand. But it says a power and it must be grounded and what does that mean? I mean, we, we know, to, to, you know, we hear it oftentimes about being grounded, how important it is. And, and we'll even have appliances. And what will they say? They must be grounded. The connection of an electrical conductor with the ground. There it is, that connection. That connection has to be so grounded. And what does it even say in the dictionary? Now, I'll go to Mr. Daniel Webster here. To fix firmly. There it goes. Firmly fitted, honey, to that power greater than themselves. If they are, to recreate their lives. Much power is needed, but may I add, much power is given. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you. Janice? Press star 1 to unmute, Janice, if you're still there. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, Amy. I I had to dial back in. Thank you for your patience. Sure. You know what what I am uh, what I am reading here struck me. The people who shared with me these alcoholic people who had had my experience and were standing on the other side of this, they had a message of depth and weight. They were properly armed with the facts about themselves. And they stood there in front of me, shining, shining. They had recreated their lives, and they had power greater than themselves that was at the source, the core. I think we lost Janice. Janice, you want to try star... One again to unmute. Can you hear me, Amy? Okay, there you are. You're back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I am so challenged by the technology. I think we lost you again. Are you back, Janice? Because we're going to go ahead then. Okay. My name is Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Well, you know, people told me to stop eating. I was telling myself to stop eating. Talk about emotional appeal. Well, you all have heard me on the line. I'm an emotional kind of gal. And I would say to myself, I would scream to myself, Amy, you've got to stop this. What is the matter with you? My family's motto was, all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What's the matter with you? And I couldn't understand why is it I could not control an inanimate object 
like food. Well, what's wrong with me? Why was I an awful person? I mean, all the shame that people have already shared about and the guilt that I was some weak-willed, you know, and I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand, and I hated myself for it. I came, by the grace of God, to Overeaters Anonymous, and someone told me, here we have an allergy, a mental obsession. I mean, to those who are on the line, that last paragraph was incredibly vital, incredibly vital because it is the description of what my disease is. But, oh, 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 this disease is fraught with denial, delusion, and defiance. And for four years in OA, I suffered because I could not or would not wrap my brain around the mental obsession. I gave when it came to the allergy. I understood that if I, didn't, if I put that stuff in my system, that I was gone and off to the races. But what kept bringing me back in front of the refrigerator, five bites into a binge, going, how the hell did I get here? Why is it I am doing this? And I would not let go and surrender. And I just want to offer to the still suffering compulsive little reader who's on the line today, you know, trying to use OA like a diet club or a diet, in my humble opinion, is like trying to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. This will not fix it unless we find a power greater than ourselves, unless we are grounded in our own humility, being humbled by this disease and asking for help and understanding the two-fold nature of this disease. I mean, they say OA is like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out because you know too much. Take that knowledge and understand what it is and who we truly are. I mean, the big book goes on further to say if you don't know if you're a compulsive overeater, go out there, go out in the kitchen and try some controlled eating. Try to stop eating after five minutes see where it gets you. And then think back to this paragraph and all the frothy emotional appeal that you've tried on yourself and all the other diets that you've tried or that I tried and realize that if you truly are a compulsive overeater, as I am, and have this twofold nature, the mental obsession and the physical allergy, there is no way out. We must be grounded in a power greater than ourselves outside of ourselves. That must be a higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else care to share on what was read? Janice, you want to try to get back in there? Thanks, Amy. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I just wanted to say that, you know, we cannot sell this program short, but we cannot oversell it either. You know, there there is a miracle waiting here for you. There is a miracle waiting here for you. I needed to be approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved, properly armed with the facts about themselves. And teach me this. Teach me this. These alcoholic people in recovery had depth and weight. Their message that they were recreating their lives, that they had this greater, wider, higher, deeper power that was their source, their power source, was all new information. This allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, this was all new information for me. And boy, my mind had been cracked open because I was desperate. Because I was desperate. You know, so this limitless power they talked to me about, they said, your ideals will also be grounded in a power greater than yourself. If you are like us, 
then this is available for you as well. And they were recreating their lives, recreating their lives. So it was already there. It was already there. Many things needed to be uncovered, discovered, discarded. And in order to do all of that, they needed the help of each other and this higher power. But they had a proven workable method by which they could arrest this illness, and they taught it to me, and they taught it to me. They stood in front of me shining, shining with this information. And what could I do except grab hold, grab hold? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And on that note, we are going to wrap things up. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who shared. We will now close with a reading on the big, from the big book on page 164, and that would be Judy B. To please read, if you'd go ahead, please. This is Judy B., Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.